we're going to go through a lot of um, scripture today. I don't know that you will even keep up with me, but those of you that are on electronic devices might be able to. Um, but here's the challenge that I feel from the Lord. In our generation, as a Pentecostal people, you're the quietest Pentecostal people in town. In our generation, as a Pentecostal people, the day of Pentecost ought to be a great day in our life. And I want to talk to you about why the church needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I feel challenged in this area. When I was in Hong Kong, I, I don't know if I shared this with you already, and if I did, please forgive me, but I'm going to share it again. When I was in Hong Kong and our bishop was there, he had just been to a meeting in the Philippines where he said as he was preaching to them and as he was ministering to them, when it was time to give the call for response, that they, that, that, that they came forward responding to whatever the message was. And he said, I went over to lay hands on them. And he said, I raised up my hand like this to lay hands on them. And the whole room went down under the power of the Spirit of God. He said, you don't manufacture that. I'm going to have you hear a testimony in just a minute. And you get ready, Angel, because you're going to share a testimony right in the middle of my preaching. <laughs> surprise? No, we talked about that. <laughs> She's not surprised. Timing, maybe, but not surprised. But he told me that he was sharing that story among a group of bishops who are leading our Pentecostal churches, and one of the bishops says to him, the youth of this day do not want that. And all of a sudden an indignation rose up in him as a bishop, and he said, well, God didn't ask them what they wanted. He told them what they needed. But what we've discovered is that the youth of this generation do want everything that God is. What they don't want is something that was manufactured and called God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us, leading us and directing us as a church. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit in you and leading you as an individual in life. And the, as the world waxes worse, the Bible says, I'm not even worried about where the world is, because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. But by the Spirit of God, you need His wisdom and His grace to lead you in this life. And if you don't think that you do, perhaps today you will discover that you do. But what I would really like to give you today, not so much uh, uh, directed toward an outpouring, which, which we are experiencing, which is coming, I, I think the last two weeks, I don't know, in 20 years of history of this church, and I was the worship leader for seven years, and we had, have always had a precious, sweet presence of the Lord in this place, to the point that people who visit here and minister always want to come back because of the anointing they find here. But I don't know that we as a congregation have come so into the secret place as in the last two weeks. Let's not take that for granted. That the Spirit of God is leading us because if He's doing that, if He's taking us into His presence the way that He is, it's because He has a grace to put upon us for an assignment to put in us. 
I've, I've understood that God doesn't waste the anointing. There's a purpose behind it. So you have an assignment from him. Last Sunday, was it last? Two weeks, how many weeks ago now, Angel? Two weeks ago, I was going out the aisle to, to greet folks at the door, and Angel stopped me about right here and shared with me that she was very sick. And she's experienced a miracle, and I want her to come and share it before I get too far into this right now. It just goes to why we need the Holy Spirit. So it's a good testimony. Share what happened. I'm going to try and share without crying. You marshmallow. Go ahead. For 40 years, I have been really sick. I'm 53 almost. And to the point to where you just kind of look at it like, okay, this is my lot in life. I'm a very energetic person. I love life. But it just seems like year after year after year, something else afflicts my body from one thing to another where I've almost died three times, literally. I never gave up. My lungs have been in really bad shape for at least three years to the point to where last year I ended up in the hospital with um, tachycardia and um, my oxygen was so low that I was admitted for five days so that my body could recover. Through all of this time, I've been on a lot of medication, antibiotics, pretty much at least two, three times a year to try and clear up stuff that needed to be dealt with. About three weeks ago, my lungs were having issues again, and my pulmonologist put me on another round of antibiotics. Eight days after being on those antibiotics, my body completely froze. Froze. I could not move my neck. I got locked jaw. I couldn't even lift my hands or my arms. I couldn't write my name. My body had just literally frozen on me. And I was laying on the couch and I couldn't understand because I've been praying and I've been seeking God and I've been asking and, you know, what, uh, what do I need to do? You know, is there sin in my life? I've had people with Linda and Becky and Ann and, and, and Martha, they've stood by me for years praying and believing that, that God was, you know, going to heal my body. I lined up with these ladies because I knew that they knew the word, and I knew that if I just kept them close to me, that 
one day God was going to, you know, he was going to show me some things and my body was going to start responding in a positive way. And even my kids, one of my children on Mother's Day, she said, Mom, I know that your body is broken and you're so weak and you can't hardly do things sometimes, but you're the strongest person I know. I came to church because it's Mother's Day, and I would come to church anyway. I've, I love it here. And like Pastor said, he goes, he came by and he just went to squeeze my hand, and it was like you can't can't do that; it hurts too much. And he just began to pray for me, and I went down in the spirit. And um, two days. It took just about two days. Actually, I was telling Charles, I said, when we got home, I said, I expect a miracle tonight. I expect my body to be perfectly, you know, responding perfectly. And it took a couple of days, and everything was gone. My energy level is through the roof. All of my to-do list is almost done. My kids, you know, it's like my house. The, the obedience for my children has changed. The respect in my house has changed. The, the, just everything in my, you know, and it's like it was the antibiotics has, has broken down my body, but here I thought it was like this intense sin that I had been carrying in my life, you know, and it wasn't that at all, you know. But God, whenever, whenever I went down in the spirit, he began to show me things. And he began to tell me that this vortex of pain and sickness that I have been living in is, is coming to an end. Hallelujah. And I have to tell you something. My lungs, I have a machine that I have to wear this big old pink vest that vibrates my lungs to make my lungs work properly. I have a nebulizer. I have to take medication, have this mask on my face. I have, I mean, just an array of things that have kept me like locked down and I actually began to believe that that was my life. But God is saying, no, I have so much more than that for you. And I had to start, yes. stop, you know, believing that that was just it. You know, just do what you can, do the best that you can, because that's it. But don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. You line yourself up with the word. You line yourself up with people. And when God touches your body, believe that there's a reason for it. Praise the Lord. What a testimony. God still heals. The Holy Spirit is leading us. I wish that Jesus had not said in this life you'll have trouble. But he did. And we do have, and then God moves. Amen? That he may be glorified. Uh, let me just, uh, Angel, thank you for sharing. I was so excited about her that particular testimony Whenever I laid hands on her, I did not feel any particular anointing. And those of you that love to move by the Spirit and all that kind of stuff, and you wait on what you're going to feel, don't. And when she went down and, uh, under that anointing, I was kind of surprised because I wasn't particularly feeling any great anointing, but there she goes. I'm like, Charles, catch her because I can't. And 
And, and she's down there in the floor and God moved in her life and I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is still moving today. If we accomplish anything in our next few minutes together, what I would like to accomplish is that in you there would come a defense of the Gospel in this area. If anything good can come of our moments together, if you as a believer would come to a place in your understanding of Scripture that you have within you a defense of the Gospel in this area, it would be vitally important. And the reason for that is this. And not so much that you're going to convince anyone else of of anything else, but that you know that you know that you know what you believe and why you believe it and why we stand where we stand in this generation. There is an affront against the the moving of the Spirit of God in the earth today. And I understand that the devil doesn't want the Holy Spirit to move in your midst because it will change your life. If we allow the Holy Spirit to move, He will change you. And so the enemy does not want you to be changed. And if you come to Jesus and you receive salvation, the next challenge that the enemy has is to try to keep you from moving into the deep things of God so that your life can actually change. Because if you can say, I'm a believer, but there's no victory in your life, other people will look at you and not want what you have. The church in our nation has come to the place that it's so much like the world and the world is so much like the church that the world looks at the church and they don't want what we have. And the church is still looking at the world and for some reason there are elements of the church that are looking at the world and saying we want what they have. I'm going to tell you why. And I'm preaching, just, just forgive me, you're sitting here and I'm preaching to the choir and I know it. But we're in a generation that we've left our first love. Generationally speaking. I know you're sitting there, you're going, oh, not me. No, no, listen to me. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. 1 Peter 3.15 says, uh, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you uh, the reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and with fear. We are not taking what we know to be true and beating anyone over the head with it. That would not be very meek. Although sometimes I want to. I heard a couple of amens. Leroy and I have had some discussions back there. He wants to sometimes, but Leroy works in the school system, so you can imagine why he wants to. Then the Bible refers to an elder or spiritual leader in Titus 1.9 and it says that he must hold fast to the sure and trustworthy word of God as he was taught it so that he may be able both to give stimulating instruction. This is the Amplified uh, Version, by the way. He may be able to give stimulating instruction and encouragement in sound, wholesome doctrine and to refute and convict those who contradict and oppose it Showing the wayward their error. It's not enough that we know Jesus, but we need to know why we know Jesus. And it's not enough in our generation that we are baptized with the Spirit, but we also must know why this is important and why the church of our day cannot lose this. Amen. 
Max Barroso, who most of you know from The Awakening, uh, will tell, he and I had some long conversation, have had some long conversations about this because the challenge of his life and the ministry that he has is to take young people and raise them up in ministry, um, expose them to missions, and he has learned that in that process he has to expose them to the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he's taking kids that have been raised in Pentecostal churches who've never prayed in the Spirit. He's horrified by what he's running into. And then he's running into arguments from great thinkers who think they think great thoughts that are telling him that he shouldn't be focusing on that. But Joey went on one of those summers with him and they went to a uh, Pentecostal summer camp where everyone there, including the counselors and the youth leaders, were just simply on vacation. And there was no move of the Spirit. He said he preached his heart out. They they interceded, they preached, they had altar response time, nothing, 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 nothing. Then we brought him out here to our little youth camp, which uh, uh, he had been out here, uh, which we have 70 or 80 people that show up at camp, and there's a move of the Spirit, and we've had uh, prophetic voices come and preach and teach to our children, and, and we've had a, a, have a move of God, and we tell them we're here and we're going to have fun, but first we're going to meet with Jesus. And the Spirit of God is going to move. And he said, in contrast, those two environments, he said it is, it is like one is so grievous and the other so refreshing. We have discovered that this generation would love to have a move of God. They just want it to be a move of God. and They don't want somebody to tell them something is of God that isn't. They don't want Pentecostalism just for the sake of being strange. We are peculiar, it's enough that we're peculiar. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to put your own peculiar spin on it. <laughs> right? Let me give you some scriptures. I want to talk to you about why the Holy Spirit is so vitally important in the life of the church. 1 Timothy 4. This is... Um, First Timothy 4 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly. Now, I want, I want you to understand something. I'm, I'm minoring on a major and majoring on a minor in this particular passage of Scripture because, because what he's telling them is he's prophesying to them about the last days, and he says, This is what the Spirit is telling me. That in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So he's prophesying to them, you understand. But what I want you to focus on is that he said, the Holy Spirit speaks clearly. He says, the Holy Spirit is giving me these details. And I discovered that it is always the practice of the Holy Spirit to speak clearly. And I'm troubled by believers who can't hear from God and who, who say, I'm praying and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what God wants. When you have deposited within you the Holy Spirit who speaks expressly. I've really discovered that there are a lot of people who will hear what God is saying, but they don't like that answer. 
Because when the Holy Spirit speaks expressly, when He speaks clearly, what He speaks to us is always going to require a response. And that response that we are supposed to be responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit uh, will cost us something, will, will cause us to have some, maybe some discomfort or have to change some of our opinions and our attitudes and our actions and our activities. And we don't want to hear that express word. I had a man in my office one time who came to me and he says, Pastor, I messed up and he, he was doing some drugs and he was, I'm going to lose my business and I'm going to lose, I'm, going to, I'm just about to lose, I'm just on the verge and if I don't turn this around, I will lose everything. I said, all right, hold on just a minute. Let me pray. I prayed, the Holy Spirit gave me 10 things. I said, I will walk with you and the Lord will set you free, but you have to be in church every time the door is open. If you will not do that, I will not work with you. I will work with you and I will help you, but every time prayer meeting comes, you have to be at prayer meeting. I will help you, but you have to, I'm going to give you Bible study assignments and you have to do those assignments and turn them in when you come back to me the next time. If you come back to me the next time and you don't have them, I will send you away until you do. And then in the discussion with him, he explained to me that he was uh, living in a, in a uh, convenient arrangement with a woman. Are you going to marry her? No, I'm not going to marry her. Then get out. His head dropped, and he did like this. He didn't even look me in the eye. He said, Pastor, I'll do exactly what you say. I don't want to lose everything. I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. And he left, and I never saw him again. Because the Holy Spirit speaks expressly, and the danger is that we don't want to hear what he has to say. We must be a people of God who says, Holy Spirit, speak. We will hear what you say. We will obey what you say. We will do what you, will, you say. We will honor what you say. We will respect what you say and respond to what you say. Speak in our midst and we will respond. Amen. So we learn from this passage of Scripture that the Holy Spirit speaks clearly. The Holy Spirit is not speaking to you in code. It was a great discovery when I figured that out. He speaks clearly. The reality of it is in this particular passage of Scripture, I might say uh, when, Timothy, uh, when, when Paul was speaking to Timothy and telling him, this is what I believe the Spirit is saying to me, that in the latter days some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, and, and so on, we're in that day. Here we are. So not only do you see, you get the opportunity to see that the Holy Spirit speaks clearly and expressly, but you also get the opportunity to see that he spoke the truth and it has come to pass. Paul's prophecy has come to pass. Then the reason we need the Holy Spirit in our life is Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. You are marked by the Holy Spirit. So we, the enemy does not want this, so he says to the, so he convinces some great thinker to preach that the Holy Spirit is not for today so that people can come and pray some prayer uh, uh, asking God to forgive them of their sin and, uh, and then get, shake the preacher's hand and go on with an unchanged life. 
We're supposed to be marked. We're supposed to be marked. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the, glory, to the praise of His glory. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Linda was reading an article a while back, a community that was being, Christians that were being persecuted by Muslims in the Middle East somewhere. I don't remember what country it was in. In Syria? In Syria. And the Muslims had gone around with a can of spray paint and everyone that they heard that was a believer, they were marking a symbol on their door. So they never know when they're going in their house at night and coming out whether or not tonight is the night that they're coming under attack. You understand this is where some people who love Jesus are living. So she began to pray for their protection and pray for, for this situation to change. But the Holy Spirit says to her, everyone who walks with me is marked. God in his infinite wisdom was basically saying to them, in your face, look how many folks I have out here. In your face, devil, we're marked. We must bear the mark and the seal of the Holy Spirit in this generation for the church to be effective, for us to do what God has called us to do in the earth, for us to change this generation, for us to change this city, for us to change our lives. We must be marked. We must have the seal of the Holy Spirit on our life. And it is, of course, as we read further there, and I don't want to get into this because I'll get stuck preaching about uh, the, the... But, but the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until all things are fulfilled. The Holy Spirit's the guarantee of our inheritance. And then I appreciate the words of Jesus in John chapter 16 and verse 7 when Jesus was telling them that, that He was going to go away and that He was going to send the Comforter. He said something to them that I think uh, is, is a very deep statement. Deep spiritual implications. He said in John chapter 16 and verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Amen. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, if I do not go away, he can't come. Right. So because Jesus went away and because he sent the Holy Spirit, we have an advantage. I have an advantage as a believer. I have the Holy Spirit in my life who will tell me, don't go over there, it's dangerous. I have the Holy Spirit in my life who whenever I go to Him and I pray uh, over one of my children and I say, Lord, I'm bumping up against something here and I don't know what I'm supposed to do in raising this child or we don't know exactly how we're supposed to address this situation. The Holy Spirit always speaks a clear word. If you're raising children without the Holy Spirit, God help you. I don't know how you do it. 
quite frankly, in our culture, if you're going to work every day without the Holy Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You need the Holy Spirit to talk to you about your, your stuff. You need the Holy Spirit to talk to you about your daily routine. You need the Holy Spirit to talk to you. You need to be able to say, Lord, at work, I'm facing this challenge and I don't have the answer. And the Holy Spirit will have the answer and give it to you. Clearly. We must have the Holy Spirit in our daily life. Scripture says there that when the Holy Spirit comes, the helper, Jesus called him, He'll convict of sin. This is an interesting statement. We, we always talk about conviction of sin. And, and we do. Because the word says that. But it says here, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Wise judgment. God's view. Benjamin taught a while back, and he was talking about that when, when we face judgment, that we're standing in court, Jesus is our advocate, and a judgment is handed out. It's handed out in favor of someone, and it's handed out in opposition to someone. When the judge hands out a judgment, we want the righteous judgment of God. Oh God, judge in my favor. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict of sin. He will convict of righteousness. You know what that tells me? He's not just taking out of my life what doesn't need to be there. We need the Holy Spirit so that he can take out of our life what doesn't need to be there. But we see clearly from Scripture that you don't just sweep the house and leave it empty. He comes to put in what needs to be there. What needs to fill it? Oh, I wish I could just spend time and take that all apart. Then, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You understand, I'm just getting to barely touch on these things. These are, these are appetizers. You go home and dig them out. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You know why I believe that many churches stopped pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit in, in behalf of their people? Because then they had to be reminded that they're not their own. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, the purpose of the Spirit of God coming into your life is that He begins to lead you instead of you leading you. And everything in my life where the Holy Spirit has led, it has produced great fruit and great results. And every area of my life where I have led, dear Lord Jesus, let's not even talk about that. The places in my life where I have led, I have not produced anything but frustration for me and for my family and for anyone affected by the decisions that I made. But when the Holy Spirit is leading, what is produced is wonderful. And I'm so glad one day the Holy Spirit said, would you quit planning your life and let me plan it? Would you quit planning your own way and let me do that? 
Thank God he did early. Had that conversation with me early. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We're living in a generation that that wants God to save their soul or or to, to seal their spirit unto Him, but they think that their body belongs to them. He bought all of you. Hallelujah. You guys are being quiet for Pentecostal people. One man said, I'm preaching better than your amening. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and uh, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Can you imagine? Can you just, w- without any great theological expression, you can figure out why the devil would not want that to happen in the lives of people who fall in love with Jesus. The Holy Spirit actually living in you and dwelling in you ruling and reigning in you, directing your thoughts and your purposes and your plans, directing your life. You know what happens? People get full of the Holy Spirit and they really become Spirit-led. And we're going to talk about being led by the Spirit in a few minutes if we have time. But um, they they, they begin to be led by the Spirit and the devil starts getting nervous when they're awake. I want to be the guy who, 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 whenever I wake up in the morning, the devil's go, oh God, he's up again. You can be that kind of people with the deposit of the Holy Spirit in you. The Bible says that the, the apostles walked by and their shadow fell upon people and they were healed. And the devil's like, make them sit down. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a great short, short passage of Scripture in Acts 8 and verse 29. Very simple, not complicated passage of Scripture at all. Philip had been uh, preaching and God sends him out into the desert and the Holy Spirit says to Philip when he's talking to that eunuch, The Holy Spirit, the Spirit said to Philip, the Spirit said to Philip, go up in the chariot. Go sit down with that man. The Spirit said to Philip, we need the Holy Spirit to direct us. You need the Holy Spirit to direct you. You need to be able to hear the Spirit say, go sit down and have coffee with that guy. Somebody said the other day that they're opposed to, to going to Starbucks because Starbucks is a reprobate company, you know, that uh, they don't love Jesus and they don't love Christians and all that kind of stuff. But you know Starbucks has built the most Sunday schools of all of the people in the world, and, and the word is preached in Starbucks all the time. And so I go to Starbucks because I'm like, sit down here, let me tell you about Jesus. A place we can have church, we don't have to pay the rent. Do you know how many people have been led to Jesus sitting in Starbucks because somebody heard the Spirit of God say, go sit down with that guy and have a cup of coffee with him. 
I was sitting with a young man uh, one day at Starbucks. We made an appointment because he was having trouble. And the Lord told me on the way to meet with him, the Holy Spirit said, when you sit down with him, you tell him that I love him, but do not tell him that I love him like a father. Tell him that I'm the friend that sticks closer than the brother. Didn't know anything about his history. So I went and sat down with him, and I said, you know, I was praying for you today, and the Lord said to tell you that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave you. He's always with you. And I just began to share with him like that, and then I started asking him questions about his life, and he never had a father. He didn't even know who his father was. He had no concept of what it meant to have a father, but he was friends with some folks he had been friends with since elementary school. He knew what it was to have a friend. The Holy Spirit told me to talk to him from the perspective of friendship, not fatherhood. You need the Holy Spirit to direct you. Those people that you are praying for, that they will meet Jesus, God has tuned their ear to your voice, and you need to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to them word for word. The Holy Spirit gives direction. Simple instruction. going to become increasingly more important. Luke chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, the Bible says, and when they bring you into the synagogues and into magistrates and and powers, take no thought of how you will answer or what you will say. For the Holy Ghost will teach you in that same hour what you ought to say. The best biblical example of this, the absolute, I think, personally, the best biblical example of this scripture right here is that when Paul was taken to Mars Hill and he stood before them and all of their statues to all of their gods there, they were what we are today, a pluralistic society. They, they were worshiping all kinds of gods. Uh, you just as well get your head around that. That's, he was preaching to the same culture that we are living in today. And there was a statue there erected, and they had put the, the, the tablet on the statue said, to the unknown God, to the one we can't figure out, just in case we missed one. There's the sun God, and there's the moon God, and there's the prostitution God, and the flesh God, and this God, and that God. They had all their gods, and here's this one just in case. And the Apostle Paul under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, steps up to Mars Hill and he says, here's all of your gods. But I want to talk to you about this one. The unknown God. The one you don't know. You familiarize yourself with all of the others, but this one has been out of your reach. And he began to preach the gospel to them. The God they didn't know. Absolutely the best sermon, I think, ever preached in Scripture. You know how Jesus said, greater things than these you'll do than, than I've done, and he, and he gave them. Paul preached a better sermon than Jesus ever preached that, that day. That's not sacrilegious for me to say that, I assure you. John 14 and 
26 and 20, John 14, 26 and 27 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We might not get any further than this passage right here. Listen to this. Listen. Jesus said to them, The Holy Spirit will be your helper, and then He will be your teacher. He will teach you whatever things I have commanded, the things that I have said, He's going to expound them to you. That's how the apostles wrote those letters, because the Holy Spirit was expounding to them the things that Jesus had said to them. And then He said... Listen to this. Don't miss this. There's a bridge here. I'm sending the comforter. I'm leaving you my peace. The only way that the church is going to have peace in this generation and people who follow God are going to live in peace in a generation where people who love Jesus are hated is that they have the power of the Spirit of God within them, active and alive. It's the only way. So he said, I leave with you my peace. Not the kind of peace that the world gives. Not, you know what peace is in the world? It's temporary. Based on an agreement that might break down before morning. The peace that is in the world is temporary. But he says, I'm giving you peace that will sustain you, that will stay with you, that will stay in you. And then he gives them instruction. I'm giving you peace, not peace as the world gives. Do not, if, I, if I'm giving you peace, then don't let your heart be troubled. If I'm giving you peace, then don't let yourself get into fear. Don't let yourself get into turmoil. Don't let yourself get into worry. Remind yourself that I gave you peace. Only the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Peace is not necessary when everything is smooth. Are you, peace is not necessary when everything is going well. That's not when peace is necessary. Peace is necessary when everything seems to be coming apart around you. That's when you need peace. I'm leaving you my peace through the Holy Spirit. And then John, same chapter 14, you go back up to verse 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'll pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. From the day that the Holy Spirit came into my life, through the experience of baptism, not water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit, I was a young child. I was kneeling at an altar 
felt like those steps right there. And my father came down that row of people praying, and he was just laying hands on people and just encouraging people. And my father came up behind me, and I only know it was my father because I know his voice, and I knew his, t- I knew his voice, and I knew his touch. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Father, he said, Lord, fill my son with the Holy Ghost. And I began to speak in tongues just like that. And I want you to understand that in all of the course of my life, in everything that I have gone through, in every challenge that I have faced, in every moment of my life, from that time to this, the Holy Spirit has never left me. Even when I was in error. And I have been a time or two. Or three. Or four. That's my wife. No. He said, I'm going to send the comforter and he will never leave you. And I have known in, in my young days, in days that I was absolutely being rebellious against the word of the Lord in my life and that my heart was far from him. At any moment in time when I turned my attention to him, the Holy Spirit began to come up out of me and the word of the Lord began to be prophesied to me. And the, and the prayer, uh, that prayer language that prays those perfect Prayers of the Father uh, began, to began to be poured through me in, the, in a moment, in an instant. He never left. He never went anywhere. I won't get into all the theology of that and break that down for you or we'd be here all day on that issue, but the Holy Spirit will not leave you. He said, I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. So Jesus promised the comforter that abides forever. And the other thing there that we have to point out in that passage is he said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. The other reason that the body of Christ must have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in their life is because we are in a generation of false teachers and false uh, proclaimers of false doctrines and of of doctrines of devils. And you as a believer ought to be able uh, with the Word of God that is deposited in you, even if it's just a little bit, and the Holy Spirit in you, you ought to be able to know immediately when you're hearing something that's incorrect. When you're hearing preaching and teaching that is incorrect, or when someone on the street comes up to you, when you're having discussions, political discussions around your table with your neighbor, and they begin to speak principles that are not from God, the Holy Spirit ought to fire off in you. Oh no, that's not godly. That's not, if the Bible is not shaping our worldview, we're in trouble. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit combined in us ought to make something go off in us when people are speaking opinions that are not from God. That doesn't mean you have to hit them with your Bible. Some of y'all were really disappointed you can't get away with that. Some of y'all carry some big Bibles. Family Bible. Boom! Let me get your attention for a minute. Now we got a few minutes left and there's so much more that we could talk about, but there's some things here that we have to get to today. 
primarily in Romans chapter 8. Because it does no good, it will only frustrate your way. If the Holy Spirit is deposited in you and you are not being led by the Spirit, you are, you are a transgressor. Just by definition. I don't, I don't mean that you mean to be. I, I don't mean that you're intentionally pushing back against God. You understand me? I'm giving you just definition. If the Holy Spirit is in you and you are not being led by the Spirit, then you are transgressing the leading of the Spirit. Just, just by default. It's not intent. I, I, don't, I don't mean to imply that you're rebellious. Although I was. I, I told you about the conversation when the Lord speaks to me and he says, Anthony, I love you with all my heart. I just don't like you very much. He talks, he's just bold with me. But my father was that way, so I'm used to that. But let me read you some scripture and just share with you some, some more thoughts here. Romans chapter 8 Verse 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I have buried a lot of believers. I have buried a lot of believers who died early because they lived according to the flesh. So they just burned their body up. I told you about the man that I stood in his office and prayed and commanded the demons to go uh, related to his addictions. And they went. For a moment. And before I left his office, with tears running down his face, he said, I can't do this. And he was dead within about a month after that, a month and a half after that. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. Even the Surgeon General's that smart. He types it right on the package for you. You understand? It's, it's not, I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm, I don't want to complicate or over-spiritualize the statement. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. If you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Does that not seem simple? It's simple. It's simple truth. The Holy Spirit, you know God doesn't really speak complicated truth. Paul did, but God doesn't. <laughs> The word does say that Paul wrote of things that are hard to understand. Uh, anyway, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Do we want to get down and dirty right here? I need this tea. As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. It does not say as many as receive salvation. I, I'm, just, I'm just wanting to tweak your brain a little bit. I just want to challenge you to think. You're living in a world who says, well, we're all followers of God. You're living in a world who says, oh, no matter what we believe, we're all headed the same direction. And then you get out your Bible and you read a verse like this and it says, they that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Amen. And the Bible actually categorizes followers of God. Servants, friends, and sons. All of those can be followers of God. They're all going to be in heaven. I don't want to start a new doctrine or anything. I'll just let you mull that over. 
But the scripture is telling us that by definition, those who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. This is the thing that the enemy does not want to be accomplished in your life. He does not want you to be led by the Spirit as a son of God. He does not want you to understand who you are. He doesn't want you to understand your inheritance. He doesn't want you to understand that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And when you walk up and take someone's hand and you say, be healed in Jesus' name, that there is a virtue and a power involved in that moment. He doesn't want you to live like a son of God. He wants you to live like a servant who thinks you're on the outside all the time. There are a lot of people following God, but they feel like they're on the outside all the time. Because when the presence of God comes in, uh, when the presence of the householder comes in, you can read this in Scripture, when the presence of the householder comes in, the servant doesn't sit down, he continues to serve, or he gets out of the way because his work is done. And there are people living with God, living in a relationship with God, and that's their mindset about their relationship with God. But if the Holy Spirit gets in you and begins to show you the deposit of God that is in you and the richness of His grace and His strength and your inheritance as a child of God, you'll move to sonship. You'll start thinking like... You see, it's not... It's, it's not that God doesn't consider you to be his child. It's that you don't think like one. So it doesn't matter how much grace we have available to us if we never tap into it. It doesn't matter how much power we have available to us. The devil knows this. It doesn't matter how much power you have available to you if you never plug in. It doesn't matter how much anointing is available to you if you never tap into it. It doesn't matter how much authority you have available to you if you never step into that authority. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. They that are led by the Spirit, they that are the sons of God, are not in bondage to fear. You received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if we are children, then heirs, joint heirs with Christ. It is the Spirit it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is being, living the Spirit-led life that is the marker of being a son of God and being led, being led by the Spirit. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and then heirs. Oh, it will change your life if you decide that you're an heir. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If you recognize and realize by the Spirit of God, the deposit of the Spirit of God in you, do you understand just by, I, I, we haven't even got to everything that I would like to get to today, but do you understand why the enemy is fighting so hard that the church would relinquish the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit of God in the church? Because the Holy Spirit has the answers to the challenges of our generation. Those foolish leaders of ours that never let God come into the equation, 
The ones that we have, God bless godly leaders. Thank God for a mayor who loves Jesus. Thank God for a chief of police who loves Jesus. But when we have foolish leaders who try to figure it all out on their own and they never let God in the equation, if the righteous are not ruling, by the leading of the Spirit, the culture is frustrated. You must understand. How do I finish this? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I do what the Father tells me to do. I'm saying what the Father tells me to say. And basically what he was say, is saying to us through the word is if that's what you want to do and that's who, what, who you want to be, then you have to be led by the Spirit. We cannot be a church who receives the work of the Father and receives the work of the Son but says to the Holy Spirit, would you just go sit over here for a little bit and let us just worship the Father and not be led by the Spirit. The only way to be led by the Spirit is to be full of the Spirit.